This is uh, Joshua Bell with the uh, Kilt in the Cloth as we continue to scout the, with our study on the book of First John. We are picking up in First John chapter two, verse seven, and um, kind of just talking a lot about similarities between the Gospel of John, the area of where it was written, the historicity of it. Um, I had a question asked of me was uh, this. Is there a particular order that first, second, and third John were written in? And the answer is no. Um, we 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 gave it that designation, and I say we as in the scholars in around the 15th and 16th century. Uh, there was also not chapter or verse in these books, um, and so that when when all of these books were written, uh, it was just written on one line and there was no delineation between space and things that nature we we create space and grammatical marks as the the languages um evolve so uh that, that's probably the best answer i can give you without going into a whole thing about biblical vernacular so uh so first second and third john uh they were put together in this order most likely by the one of the Council of Trent, um, as in this is the collection or the canon that we're going to be using for the Bible. Uh, the, the collection that you have currently was not created by King James. Uh, uh, it was uh, it was not. Uh, it was created, again, by one of the Council of Trent. I usually say one of the Council of Trent, like number uh, Council of Trent 2, but that is wrong. It was in the 1400s that we finally uh, have a collection of books. And so I want, want to give you this idea because it matters as we continue with this. If you're, if you're making a collection of books that we call our Bible today, the canon, the, to put them in order meant to say, this is how we want to teach you about Jesus. Uh, or about God, or about the Holy Spirit. There was not an emphasis on a discussion on how you should believe in those things. Because if you remember, the, the church was led by the leaders, which would have been the priests, the pope, the nobility, and they would say, this is how it was. And they were also the only ones that could read it. None of you all would have had the chance to read this anyway. Um, but we, we would, none of us are of noble birth. Uh, none of you would have had the opportunity to be educated to necessarily read. Um, some of you could have been teachers, but remember the teaching at that time uh, was done by clergy. And so the clergy only taught uh, trade skills to the people in their community and, and nobility have to read and write, but it was a power thing. I mean, like that's really, really what's going on. So why does this matter? Well, when first John was being written, as we, we discussed probably at the latter part of the second century, there, there's not a power vacuum here. This is being written in such a way that says the vacuum is, okay, Jesus is gone. The temple of Jerusalem is gone. Uh, we're watching our people being executed for really just the way that they believe. Um, and how does that work? You know, what is, what is supposed to take place there? So first, second, and third John is, I, yeah, I can do this. What I would say, the best way to look at it would be almost like my thesis for my doctorate. It's a, it's a conversation, an academic conversation amongst the people that are trying to discuss and describe the role of Jesus, the role of God. Is there a Holy Spirit? What, what is heaven? Because again, remember, heaven was not something that the Jewish culture ever talked about. Um, so how does that work? So... Uh, so rather than looking at them as three separate books, look at it as three separate chapters, uh, maybe written by the same person, but more of a, a dialogue of, of kind of going on and on and on. And it maybe give us a little bit of comfort as far as the discussion of it. 
Does that help? Because I think sometimes the short books, and I and I'm diminishing them by calling them that, but the short books kind of tend to, to not get the credit that they deserve. You 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 all have a, a homogenized understanding of God, Jesus, Holy Spirit, because you have these books. You have grown up learning how to read. Um, they did not. So this is, think ancient. And this is why this part where we are makes a lot of sense. So let's, any, any questions and comments before we go on there? We ended off with Christ being our advocate. Whereas in the Gospel of John, that is discussed as the Holy Spirit being the advocate. Here, they're still arguing about this. Make sense? So this is also uh, where academics say that these were probably written before the Gospel of John. So there's still argument of how that's supposed to work. Um, so he starts off by Christ being our advocate, not the Holy Spirit, and then gives us a new commandment. Uh, in verse 7. Here we go. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the world that you have the the word that you have heard. Yes, I'm writing you a new commandment that is true in him, in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light, while hating a brother or sister. This is very important, by the way. Uh, it's still in the darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the, in the light. Is that agape? Uh, the verse 10, whoever, is that agape? Oh, yes. Okay. Agape. So that's that God love that we've talked about before. Uh, and in such a person, there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer in the darkness walks in the darkness and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. This is uh, this is not that different. I'm being semantic here. But you could start to see an influence of the Gospel of John. Right? So there's a light, dark, these that are in the light. But notice that it gives you a definition. You could be, you could say that you are in the light, but if you hate, is that the word hate? It's misone. Misone, yeah. So that's close. It's, uh, what would that word be in Greek? That would be. I don't know what the lexicon said, hating. Yeah, it's, I think it's hating. I mean, it's just, so it's this idea that to hate someone, <laughs> this is probably not a, we, we, we don't talk about this enough at church, probably. To hate someone in the first century means that you would prefer that they did not exist. Like, it, it's bad. Mine does like hate. Yours does say hate. Yeah. Hate, hate is... And so if they're saying this in Greek, they're literally saying, you could say you're in the light all day long, but if you hate someone, like you just really wish they were dead... Because that does happen, obviously, as human beings. You're not in the light. You're in the darkness. And if you if you can't move past that, then you're never going to find the light. That microphone is way far away. I feel like I'm yelling at you all. Uh, so the uh, notice that that's brought on that way. You can bring it down a little bit if you want. I know Kim doesn't want it right in her face, but... Right there, that's better. Yeah. So I think the part for me is the the blindness is new. Gospel of John doesn't talk about blindness except for healing stories. Have anybody ever thought about being blind as being living in darkness? Well, you definitely can't see anything if you're in dark. Right. <laughs> so you might as well be blind mm -hmm. so the verse 10 anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and therefore nothing in them to make them stumble um, there are good people who are Christians 100% true 
who love their neighbors, who love their family, and do lots of humanitarian type stuff, don't believe in God. That's right. Because that, that's, that's uh, ambiguous there. That's on purpose. Yeah. Because it's a struggle for them as much as it is for us today. What does it mean to be a Christian? Well, our neighbor loves their neighbor as themselves. They they love their enemy. They they treat human beings. They just don't believe in God. So what does that mean? And does it make them an atheist? Maybe. Remember, atheism is a is a fairly new concept. Yes. I would struggle to think back in that time that they didn't believe in a God. Maybe not our God, but they had plenty. So there probably was one that they believed in. <laughs> Whatever the... They had so many they could choose. They did. <clears throat> you know, there's the, it's that old joke that we had back in youth ministry forever, was is that when you do a skit about the time frame... You know, I worship this can of green beans and I worship this can of corn because uh, back then you could literally, I mean, there were gods for everything. Yeah, there literally was. So I agree with you, Robert. There, there's a there's a conversation that's being started here about who lives in the light, who lives in the darkness. This is a very divisive passage of scripture is my whole point. This is, uh, it's saying, it's it's delineating um, who who God is for, who Jesus is for, uh, but it's but what it's really trying to do is explain that this idea has been taught from Jesus from the very beginning. No. I was going to say if you had, I mean, just reading this because it's in the Bible. Right. Anytime I see light, I think Jesus. Yeah. There you go. I mean, I would. Forget, sorry, Pam, but forget about whether they're good or bad. You know, when I hear light, my brain just immediately goes to Jesus. Now, that may be like you said, but we read and studied all these. And, mm -hmm. and, you know, it comes in from different directions. If I'd only read this, then I wouldn't have said that. And if, if I had not heard the word where it says, or where Jesus says he's right. the light, right? then, you know, I'd be thinking, okay. You know, I live in a world where the light's good, you know, and we don't have enough candles in the nighttime to keep us protected, so the dark's bad. That's right. And notice that it starts off with Jesus before this. So Christ being our advocate, they're going to assume that Jesus is the light. So these are the things he says, you know, I, I'm writing this, no new commandment, but an old one that you've had from the very beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. I'm writing you a new commandment that is true in him and in you. Because the commandment that is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing in the way, the true is already shining. So the true light is you <clears throat> walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Does that make sense? I'm... It kind of takes me a little bit to the parable of the sheep and the goats, too, where mm -hmm. there's people saying, Lord, Lord, I did this, this, and this. And he's like, I didn't know you, you know, because it, it, there seems to be some element of not just saying that you're something, but, but really being something. And what you be and you do really shows if you're in the light or if you're not. It's funny you should say that. <clears throat> because the next part. I think really addresses that um, because there is a lot of that. I've, I've done these things. I've done this. The, the I'm going to sound like a jerk. So I'm going to figure out how I can say this. When someone does everything they possibly can to bring attention to all of the good things that they do in the name of Jesus, where it's almost annoying, Look at all of these things that I do in the name of Jesus. Um, are they really doing it for Jesus? Or are they really doing it because the more they do it, people pay attention? 
I'm trying to figure out how I say that correctly. Uh, I'm not saying that. Which one is it? Who who is it in this room you're talking about? I mean, <laughs> it's all of us. It's all all of us. Yeah, and literally. But yeah, I think I think today, in our culture, it's our culture is so enamored with uh, uh, attention. Yeah, you know, the younger generation is so enamored with being on TikTok or Snapchat or or whatever because it's a it's a it's a global audience. And I do all of these things and then I post it on TikTok and then millions of people see it and they like it. And then I'm doing something good. The, the phrase that is used in today's culture is I'm a positive influencer. Um, I do things in the name of myself, but I get more likes and follows. That makes me important. Um, believe it or not, people do the same thing in the name of Jesus. And you, you can, you, you all know what I'm talking about. You see the fruit of their labor. I think my rule of thumb is if, if whatever we're doing dies with us, then we're not doing it for ourselves. We're doing it, it, it. Yeah. We're not doing it for Jesus. If anything that I'm doing dies with me, then it wasn't for the glory of God. Does that make sense? Uh, if, if the food pantry tomorrow, if I said I quit and it and it won't continue, then I have failed as the director of the food pantry. Does that make sense? Um, mm -hmm. and, and it should be that way with everything that we do. And I think that's part of what Jesus is saying. So if 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 we're doing these things for the glory of God in the light and not in the darkness. It, it would always it won't always because humans get involved but you'll be able to have a barometer on who and what it's for which follows up with what he was just saying so if you start off with in verse 12 i'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven on account of his name i'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning i'm writing to you young people because you have conquered the evil one I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young people, because you are strong, and the word of, the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Do not let the world or the things in the world, uh, the love of the, wait, do not let the love of the world or the things in the world, the love of the Father is not in those who love the world. Boom. For all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh, the desire of the eyes, the pride and riches comes not from the Father, but from the world. And the world and its desire are passing away. But those who do the will of God live forever. I attribute this to the... I'm the vine and you are the branches passage in the gospel of John. There are times in your life that if you're doing the, the will of God, the vine will grow. And sometimes that vine needs to be pruned. It needs to be like, okay, I need to take this out right now because the other branches are starving. You know, I, I, I look at this. If you look at it in the, in the sense of the audience that he's talking to, um, they're the sheep and the goats. How do you explain this to other people? Okay, so I'm gonna keep. I'm gonna stop talking. What do y'all think? I was gonna ask a, a a snooty question. Nope, that's why we're having this conversation. Well, John three sixteen says God loved the world, and now here's First John saying, "Do not love the world." Ooh. Hmm. I don't know if that's snotty. What is it? What is it? Uh, I mean, I, I know that there's a difference between those two loves, or the, the, the world, rather. Mm -hmm. One is the world system, right, that we're not supposed to love. Yes. But God loved the world with all the people that were in it. And I think that's also... What form of love is usually that? Is that agape or is that something else? Yeah, it's definitely agape. Both, yeah, both, both of those are definitely agape. Yeah. I think... Uh, I think it's important to recognize 
who the author is talking to. God is going to love the world because God created it. This author is saying you should not try to love the world the way that God does because God does it for you. Because the world is going to be selfish. Does that, that's the way I, that's the way I interpret it. I don't know if that's right or wrong. I'm just saying. I, I look at it as God loves the world. He doesn't necessarily love what people do. Ah, there you go. That, yeah. that's, I, that makes I more sense. That's I love that's my a, children all the time. I do love but my I children. I do not always love what my children do. <laughs> that's, that's right. And they blow up your lawnmower twice. Say it also <laughs> depends on the word world. Oh, because good. God yeah, loves good. the world. I love my world. I may not love kids' world. Or somebody else's, whatever they consider their world. <clears throat> so, and I'm like, Pam, I feel like I love everybody. I just, there's a lot of times I just don't like their actions. But yeah. They, and I think that's part of what's being argued here. So who is the author? Oh, we don't know. Okay. And the only reason I'm asking that is... It's, He's given us a new command. John Doe. John Doe. John Doe's <laughs> given us a new command. So they're speaking from some authority. Yes. Even though they're, to me, they're defining. I mean, he even says this is an old command. And he's reinterpreting it if you wish. But, or restating it. I won't say interpret. This is how he believes. I guess. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I don't see this any different than what you standing up there and saying, I give you a command. You know, we're, we're, Thank you. I was just getting ready to say that. That's literally, that's the authority that he's coming from. I believe in Jesus as a human being. And God has affected me in the name of Jesus in this way. So when I stand in the pulpit or away from the pulpit or however, I'm preaching to you from my heart. That's the goal, right? Like, it, so even if I've plotted out and I've created a sermon and I've got this really great outline, that came from a place that was divine. And so if I'm standing in front of you and I'm preaching this sermon to you, it's exactly, hopefully, hopefully it's in the same vein that these gospels are being written. And the goal then becomes, and the reason I feel like it's being written this way is for you to do the same thing. So it's, it's supposed to be encouragement for each and every one of you in the room to be able to share your story of faith and maybe not use the exact grammatical perfection that these all do. But at the same time, you all have to share your story as well. So just, just because you brought it up, Robert, in a brilliant way, how would you all explain... explain <laughs> Uh, your understanding of, of what we just talked about, about do not love the world or the things in the world. Well, I was about to raise my hand and say, I, I think I answered my own, I'm about to answer my own question. It's in verse 16. For all that is in the, in the world, the desires of the flesh. So mm -hmm. the, the, you know, the things that we, we do, it's just human. The desires of the eyes, the things that we want, that and those of course things that don't belong to us, that you know that you're uh, coveting and that sort of thing, and then mine translates to the pride of life. I think you had a different word, pride and riches. Pride and riches. Is it riches, or is it? I don't know. Mine just had to say life. I don't know. Uh, verse sixteen. It's in the middle there. Okay, the Greek is. All that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride about this, this life's possessions, this life's this life this, of this life is not of the Father, but of the world. So it, it's a little bit of both. It's more I like so, what yeah. you own. Yeah, I think my translators just decided to add. Or like pride in your own life, like what I have like done, I did this, what I've accomplished, maybe right. what I've earned. Life is boasting. But that's boasting. That's the world that that we're not supposed to love or uh, mm -hmm. be. Circles back to there's a fine line though in 
walking the walk, talking the talk. And That's right. And do like I do without bringing too much attention. I mean, mm, yeah. And, and I think other people will judge you, but that's one that you have to judge on your own. Back to why you're doing this. Because I think there, I think you'll be tempted to want to say, look, I mean, you're already saying, look what I do. So you can be a better Christian, you know, but I mean, in doing that, I think, I think your humanity is going to grab a hold of you and take you down a different path every once in a while. I agree. I mean, you'll get caught up in, look what I did instead of look what God allowed me to do. There you go. I like the phrase, look what God allowed me to do. What about the rescue? How do you not love the things of the world? Not love the world or the things in the world. If you were if you were telling your children, your grandchildren, your nieces, your nephews, your friends, your family, this passage of scripture, if you were to summarize what we just read, how would you say that? You keep your treasures here on earth. Oh, I think that's great, Marilyn. And also, if you are blessed with wealth, to share with that, not keep it to yourself, or go out and build these two million dollar homes or something. <laughs> I mean, yeah, there, there's, there's a lot of, there is definitely a sense of humility that's coming from here, right? Like this is, how does one become humble before the Lord? This is hard for them, huh, interestingly, in the second century is as much as it is for us in the 21st century. I get confused with want versus need. It's a really hard problem to ask the, what is it that I want versus what I need? How does one love the world with agape love, which is the word they use? Because agape love is the love that, that God has for all the world. You can't. There's there's a, there's a dichotomy there that they're skipping right or going right over. Yes, Paul. Not that Paul wrote this, but that First Corinthians chapter thirteen passage. It's it's not designed for a wedding. It's beautiful. It's so beautiful. It's literally saying to you, because people should not get married. Right? Like he literally, he literally he says, says to he says that get married unless you can't help it. That's right. Unless you, unless there is no other way, you shouldn't because it's it's physically impossible you to show the love of God to another human being in the way that God loves you. And he says, and here's why. First Corinthians 13 says, uh, love is this, and love is that, and love is this, and love is that. Agape, agape, agape. And he's doing this in such a way that says that it's almost physically impossible. But if you do, this is the love that you should strive for, right? But of course, we use it in weddings all the time as if it's like this is the commandment that Paul gives you. Well, yeah, you know, and I try very hard to make sure in premarital counseling to say, look, this passage of scripture is, is it's not a make you feel good passage. It's a, here's what you should be thinking about when you're in a relationship. And I, and I just use the word I hate using what you should be doing. Right. Like, but it's, it's your, it's your barometer. Here's your list. Love is patient. Love is kind. Like Sally's saying, how does one show that type of love to the world as a human being in the way that God does. I mean, it's 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 a dichotomy. It's on purpose. And to tie into your sermon on Sunday, which was about spiritual gifts. Yep. That's how I think you you when you know what how God has gifted you, that's how you know how to love the world. So if you are somebody who is an encourager and you see somebody struggling with something in this world that's holding them down, 
you can you can encourage them say it doesn't have to be this way or you know or you're doing good in this area so you might need some work in some others but um if you're a teacher you might see somebody who's struggling you can teach them something uh what are some of the other things exhorter exhorter uh i think prophecy which is sort of the element like you know you're really blowing it here but you know let's keep trying it let's keep moving. Uh, wisdom is another wisdom. one like hey let's maybe think about why this is happening in your life i'm using a terrible example of some person having something happen in their life but that's how i i think you know how to respond sometimes is if you have taken the time to 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 learn how god has gifted you that's how you can learn to love the world but not love the world <laughs> that's good that's really good anybody else want to share before we move on i was going to say you said the word strive and i i feel like that that is something i actually always strive to love like god god loves me or the world and it's something that on a daily basis i have to strive to try to do whether it's a person or it's a thing or it's whatever whatever's before me i think and we should always strive to live christ-like mm -hmm. so if we can do you know knock them out one at a time then i think we're going to get closer to living how God loves the world, but I don't know that really as a human being I'll ever achieve that. I also don't think that they expect you to achieve it. I think it's supposed to be a challenge. Like Sally brought up the the dichotomy. I think the challenge of the New Testament is to say, I'm going to ask more questions and I'm going to get answers, and that's okay. So yeah, so while we're struggling with trying to show that love, recognize that we're all struggling together to do that, <laughs> and we're all failing the same way or similar way. Pam, we had a, a guest speaker at Frontiers that came for a teacher uh, enrichment or whatever. Anyway, she was an expert on studying the social uh, lives of the poor, mm -hmm. and. Uh, one of the things she said, and and the kids at Frontier are, are poor, and one of the things she said was, they don't have a future. They don't see a future for themselves. But you can ask them, even, you know, what are you going to be when you grow up? Well, they don't have a future in mind of what they're going to get. They don't believe they're going to grow up. And and where do you live? And they'll answer you, I'm staying at such and such. I'm saying where you live, but I'm staying at. The reason I'm bringing that up is Paul thought Jesus was going to come back in his lifetime. That's right. Therefore, don't get married. Take care of the business you need to do at hand because you're going to be with God. Because he could not have preached don't get married if he'd known it was going to be 2,000 years because <laughs> there would have been no people left in existence. That's right. That's that's 100% so challenge. He had this belief that, and, like the, and these were poor people, he had this belief that in his lifetime, it would all be over. Yeah. Oh, and and... So did this author. Yeah. This author felt the same way. Like uh, Jesus is going to come back tomorrow, which is a great segue into this next part. <clears throat> In verse 18, we get to the part of uh, mine even has the subtitle that says warning about or against antichrists. Uh, so, children, it is the last hour. You see the perfect segue that was, Pam. Wow. <laughs> As you have heard that. Antichrist is coming, so now uh, many antichrists have come. Uh, for this we know that it is the last hour they went out from us, but they did not belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But by going out, they made it plain that none of them belongs to us. But you have been anointed, aha, by the Holy One and all you have knowledge. That is the word gnosis, right? No. No. Um, Adante. Okay. So that is definitely an ex experiential. You have experienced this knowledge, not have been given it. Right. is truth, not knowledge. Truth, but not knowledge. Uh, I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it 
And you know that no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Everyone who confesses the Son has the Father also. Let what you have heard from the beginning abide in you. If you, uh, if what you have heard from the beginning abides in you, then you will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he has promised us, eternal life. I write these things to you concerning those who would deceive you. As for you, the anointing that you receive from him abides in you. And so you do not need anyone to teach you, but... As his anointing teaches you about all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, abide in him. And now, little children, abide in him so that when he is revealed, we may have confidence and not be put to shame before him at his coming. So uh, I want to I want to read uh, my I don't do this very often, but the the commentary here is really good so i'm gonna read it uh the advent of the last hour antichrist is connected with the departure of christians from this particular congregation uh it has no precedent in the hebrew bible or other jewish literature while the congregation's obvious split should have eschatological significance is not clear eschatological just means uh the end of times is coming around the corner so why they decided to put that in there we, we don't really know uh, the separatists obviously never really belonged to us because they never shared the community's faith and lifestyle. Uh, anointed, for some reason, uh, this cares that uh, charisma, is that what it says? Uh, verse 2, verse 27. Chapter 2, verse 27. Anointed? Yeah, charisma. Uh, it appears nowhere else in the entire New Testament. And it, mean, it, it might mean baptism. Uh, an anointing with oil or the spirit's presence. Uh, the, the the separatists do not know the truth and are liars because they deny that Jesus is the Christ, the incarnate in physical form. The denial aligns with one evil and has and hence the separatists are demonic. Uh, there's a the Greek word abide meno refers to a close relationship in this case with the gospel message. Uh, and then the, the gospel message is eternal life. You're specifically talking about people who are aware or knowledgeable of that Jesus is the Son of God. That's right. But they like decided that. to deny him so that they could leave. Yeah. This isn't somebody that you just walk up to that has no clue right. who Jesus is or maybe even a clue who your God is. And you ask them that question. That's right. Be, these are no longer us. They're now them. There you go. That, that would be a good way to look at that. Because I, I think the funny part about this is uh, obviously there's been a church split. You remember when we first started this conversation, I said this, this book especially was written because there was obviously splits taking place in the church, whatever that meant. Um and, and like we talked last week, there were churches that kind of expanded all the way around in this area. And so uh, in that specific area, geographically, and just like it does in the United States, uh, all, all I mean, look, let, let's just be completely honest about this. My biggest fear as a minister is I am always one sentence away somebody leaving a congregation always there's there's always that fear every every time i preach every time i say something i'm always one sentence away from somebody leaving the church because that's that's the way we operate um and what they do is they don't they don't come talk to me they they go to another church that will agree with them. Um, and that that's that has nothing to do with you all. I'm, I'm saying that that's, that's the reality of Christian communities. And that goes all the way back to the first century. So all of this 
that you're talking about here, the demonicness of them, they're antichrists, you know. I mean, that's pretty harsh words, but they're not meaning it as they're Satan or the, the second Jesus that's the bad dude. They're literally saying the anti-Jesus movement. They, they don't have anything to do with Jesus because they're proclaiming something else. They've not read Revelation yet. Yeah, they definitely have not read <laughs> Revelation yet. But, you know, like not Jesus. Not, not Jesus. Christ, yeah. Not yeah. Christ. Yeah. So they're not calling him the, the Revelation Antichrist. Uh, they're they're uh, um, so um, so yeah, I mean, like that's just that's just kind of the truth. And obviously, <laughs> whatever happened, because we don't know it upset them, they left. That's about as harsh as you can get in saying don't follow them. That's exactly, I mean, yeah. You know, <laughs> you're going to burn in hell if you follow them, not us. Yeah. It's pretty rough. We have, I feel like we have enough time we could do one more section and then call it for the day if you're all okay with that. This is one of my favorite parts of how you can tell that there was no delineation between chapter and verse. If you, if you, uh, some of yours probably has verse 29, but really verse 29 goes with chapter three. <laughs> so it starts off with, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who does right has been born of him. So now here's where it gets interesting for me. See what love the father has given us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. What we will be has not yet been revealed. What we do know is this. When he is revealed, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is. And all who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Everyone who commits sin is guilty of lawlessness sin is lawlessness you know that he was revealed to take away sins and in him there is no sin no one who abides in him sins no one who sins has either seen him or known him i, I really like this distinction by the way they don't they've never physically seen this jesus person just like we haven't which is why it's pretty cool that they're com commenting on it um Little children, let no one deceive you. Everyone who does what is righteous, just as he is righteous, uh, everyone who, who commits sin is a child of the devil. Dun, dun, dun. For the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The Son of God was revealed for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. Those who have been born of God do not sin because God's seed abides in them. They cannot sin because they have been born of God and... The children of God and the children of the devil are revealed in this way, and uh, all who do not do what is right are not from God, nor are those who do not love their brothers and sisters. We'll pause right there for fun. <laughs> well, I guess I need to leave this church because <laughs> I sin. Oh, well, you know. According to this, no one that believes in Jesus sins. So all of you are perfect individuals. And missed something somewhere. I was going to say it. Okay. Seems like I'm lining with the wrong guy here. He Jesus he makes died it easy. For forgiveness of our sins. Yep. Therefore, when we sin, we are already forgiven. Therefore, there's no sin. I I guess when you first started that, yes. my interpretation was. That if I make it to heaven and when I make it to heaven, then I will be sinless. I'm taking it a little bit further down the road. I mean, that's a good way to go. Because my brain can't. Can, this is hardcore. I'm not sinless. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to go back to what Pam said because it's there's that's the comfort you're supposed to have. Those that believe in Jesus have been their sin has been forgiven so therefore you can't sin it's it's very 
very open and broad on purpose. Like they're saying this in the sense of it, it's impossible for you to sin because you've you've accepted Jesus as your savior. Even when you do it, it doesn't count as sin. Right. However, <laughs> it's like, it's like not, the, not, not. the already and the not yet. That's right. Uh, it's it's the already and not yet. Bit. Yeah. So it says has seen and then it says has known him. Right. I mean, no one at that time would have seen him. That's right. Probably. I mean, I, I, well, I, I, mean, won't, I won't discount that if Jesus wants to come to you, you might see him. Like Paul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I, he can do whatever he wants. That's right. So, <laughs> so I can't I can't say no one has ever seen him because I don't know that. Paul apparently didn't like the death that he saw him, but there's a lot of struggle. I, it, it took, it. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> From a language perspective, and I might be wrong, but when it says like whoever sins, it does sort of mean a continuous action, like whoever sins and keeps on sinning and keeps on sinning and keeps on sinning, uh, a continuous habitual action. Um, it makes a little more sense when I read it with that, where it's someone who is kind of committed to a practice of of, of the continue. actual act of sin. Yeah, continuing to it. But, but who defines what that sin is? I mean, there are... Uh, I, earlier, we talked about that. One, one of the things brought, brought up in my mind was an aunt when I, when I was a child, because the last time I saw her, I was in third grade. Um, I worship this lady. She was just awesome. She was a really, really cool person. She was the only relative we had in Alabama while we had her and her husband. He was an uncle. But they were never married. And they never went to church. And she was a very good woman. Mm -hmm. Okay, so that brought up the question earlier about, about that. But but um sin. They never married. They were living in sin. They continued to live in sin. They lived in sin their entire existence together. Okay, so that's my not my job to judge that. Right. I right. can't decide that that was sin. But the world has, at that time, they said it a lot. It's less now. But what I perceive as a sin is my interpretation, if, and, and I'm not God. So it's very hard to judge. I, I, I get frustrated with the judgmental people in the world because it's not my job to do that. Yeah, so I'd say God is just, and um, God is going to take care of every individual in a just way. However that however that happens, um, so we we don't need to really worry about that. I guess worry about other in that sense. Am I? I don't know if I'm going off on. A I think I was rambling too. Yeah, yeah. No, I think this yeah. it, it's a hundred percent going along with this conversation because I think that obviously the church has in this particular example is still struggling with what is sin mm -hmm. right and, and i and i'm just for the sake of closure for this one of the struggles that the church had well it struggled all the way until uh, until there was edicts made this is what sin is mm -hmm. like the aspect of you, you use the phrase marriage living with somebody that's not married and, and not married is a sin the issue with that is is that's not necessarily a, a biblical thing. It, yeah, it was, as I was in my mind, I was just not going over ten commandments. It's, it's not, not in there. It's right. <laughs> it's not, and it's not even a, Levit, a Levitical or Deuteronomistic list. Six hundred thirteen. It's not even in the six hundred and thirteen that that to to live with somebody and that you're not married to. Remember, marriage in the Bible. This is the most complicated conversation I have with people. Is is a uh, is a property exchange, even in the time frame of Jesus. So if I was to marry somebody, it was a prearranged thing. And the biblical edicts that are given about marriage are, this is what has to be exchanged when a marriage takes place. So the understanding of living with somebody that I'm not married to being a sin was designed uh, by the church saying that this is what we've decided is a sin. 
if you want to be living together, uh, you have to get married. Otherwise, it's a, an anathema to God. So, I, I, But here's the struggle at the time this is being written. In the Hebrew world, anything that I did that took me away from God and Torah was considered missing the mark, that sin word that I always use, katah, right? That's the same word that Jesus would have known as sin. It's the same word that 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John would have known. It's the same word that Paul would have known. That sin was just things that take you away from God and living Torah to your fullest. So sin can be dis dis designed and, and, and given us uh, options. I know that if I don't feed my neighbor, I'm sinning. Like, and I choose to do that. If I commit adultery and I continue to commit adultery, that's that's a sin, right? So an adultery, that's where the marriage comes in. If I've made a commitment to this person, even if it's a property exchange, and I choose to lay with someone else, I'm sinning against God. Because that covenant, that chesed that was made at that marriage, I made before God and my family. So if I'm promising to this person and God that I will be with this person until I, I take no more breath, then then I'm I'm sinning. So so for them, sin is complicated, just as it's complicated for us today. And the goal then becomes, and we'll pick up with this next week, about how how do we while that happens, and we know that sin is a real living thing within each of us. We have to give ourselves some grace. And how do we do that? Well, we have to recognize that, A, we're not the judge. B, uh, God is a just God and loves us even though we mess up. And my favorite part about this is, is to recognize that it's 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 like a parent. You know, a, a parent can be upset, can, can be harsh, but at the end of the day, hopefully there's a sense of grace that's been given in some way or another. Now, that doesn't always work. There are not there are people that have grown up in abusive families and, and so they, they don't get to have that loving language that we just had. But the hope is is that God would be better than the home that they may have grown up in. So I'm gonna stop there, uh stop the recording. We'll pick up in chapter three, verse eleven next week. Uh